All right, friends, we are continuing our series this morning on Proverbs. Next week will be our final series through the book of Proverbs, and I'll be preaching on uh, what it means uh, that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we're starting, that we're going to end with how the book of Proverbs begins by focusing on the fear of the Lord. Uh, but today we're going to focus on what it means to become wise with our money. What does it mean to become wise with our money? A really important topic. And as I was preparing this message today, I was uh, this past week, I was thinking there's so many different directions I can go. Uh, but what is the Holy Spirit? What do I sense the Spirit want to say to all of us today in our particular context at this particular moment with, this, with, with so much else to say in the Scriptures? And so today I want to just hang my thoughts on a few of the important themes that come up in the book of Proverbs. And so let's pray that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts as we look to Scripture today and what the Lord wants to do in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the gift of this, your gathering, this gathering today and the gift of Holy Scripture. Now would you open our ears, our eyes, our hearts, that we would receive every gift from the Spirit this day. We pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. A couple of weeks ago, I came across a, a clip from the comedian Jim Carrey on uh, a show he was on. He was presenting the nominees for uh, a particular category at the Golden Globe Awards. And as I watched this really short clip, I, it was very humorous, but there was lots of truth to what he was saying, and what he was saying about awards had a lot to do with how we think about money. And so I want to show you this clip, and then we're going to look at some of the verses we have in the book of Proverbs. Take a look at this. From the upcoming film True Crimes, please welcome two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey, going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this, this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. Uh, many of us can identify, many of us in this room, probably all of us in this room, none of us will ever win a Golden Globe Award, but we know what this is like as it relates to possessions. We know what this is like as it relates to money. We live in a culture that prizes money just about over everything else. And there's a reason for that, which I will get towards the end of my sermon. But it's important to say that our relationship to money is a struggle for just about everyone. 
Whether you grew up in a financially uh, poor home or whether you had it okay growing up, whether you are struggling right now or whether uh, things are looking pretty good for you, all of us have an issue or struggle with money. And we often believe that it's, it's only when we, uh, we will be enough when we have enough. The problem, however, is that the definition of enough always keeps on changing. And because this is our line of thinking, it's very easy for us not to become wise with our money. Money takes up a lot of space in our minds, a lot of space in our society, a lot of space in our hearts. Our culture is dominated by economics. We spend a lot of time thinking about money, how much we have, how much we need, how much we earn, how much other people earn, how much we owe. The list goes on and on and on. And when we think about money, we all have various questions that are universal in scope. For the college student, they're asking, how in the world am I going to afford college tuition, let alone the $175 textbooks that I have to purchase? For those who are just graduated from college, how in the world will I find a job that will lead me to be somewhat comfortable? For young families, they're asking, how in the world are we going to afford a home in this market? Middle-aged folks thinking, I might lose a job. How am I going to afford just to put the bare necessities on the table? Those who are retired wonder, how am I going to survive when, when, when the money seems to be dwindling? We all have this idea and this relationship to money, and it's a challenge. It's a struggle. And yet, to be a follower of Jesus is to live free a freedom that only he can give, which is really the point of this message today, that Jesus came to free us from being possessed by the power of money. Jesus came to free us from everything, and one of the most important things he wants to free us from is being possessed by the power of money. Now, it's important to say that the Bible has so much to say about economics, after the kingdom of God, teachings on the kingdom of God, the thing that Jesus most talks about in the New Testament is money. And when we look at the scriptures, we're not going to find a systematic overview of how we are to deal with our finances. But over and over again, we see that God is trying to get to the heart of our relationship with money. And so to talk about it is, as it relates to the book of Proverbs, there's so many categories that we can be wrestling with, but there are three categories in particular in the book of Proverbs that I want to have us focus our attention on, focus our hearts on. And the first two ways that I'm going to, or themes that I'm going to focus on are two damaging ways that we relate to money, and the last way is a redemptive way to relate to money. Two damaging ways we relate to money, and one redemptive way that we relate to money. The first category that I want to focus on is the category of greed, the category of greed. The Proverbs warn us over and over again about greed, and we become wise with our money when we are aware of this universal challenge of greed. Proverbs 28, 22 says, the stingy are eager to get rich and are unaware that poverty awaits them. Proverbs 28, the greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Over and over again in the book of Proverbs, we get this idea that greed ultimately leads to poverty. 
Greed ultimately leads to a poverty of life. That the more we seek to hold on to, especially anxiously, the poorer we become. I think about a story told by Leo Tolstoy, the great Russian writer of the 19th century. Tolstoy wrote a story about a successful farmer who was not satisfied with his land. He wanted more land. And so one day he received a wonderful offer for 1,000 rubles, which would be the equivalent of $28. He could buy all the land he could walk around in one day. The only catch was that he had to be back at the starting point by sundown. And so you can walk around as much as you want, and whatever land you walk around, it's yours. You just have to be back by sundown. And so early the next morning, this farmer started walking at a fast pace to cover as much ground as he possibly could. And by midday, he was very tired, but he kept on going, covering more and more ground. Well into the afternoon, he he realized that his greed had taken hold of him, and as a result, he was very far from his starting point. And so he quickened his pace, trying to get back home as the sun began to set. And he began to run, knowing that if he was not home by sundown, he would not own all this land for just $28. And so gasping for breath, his his heart starts pounding. He called upon every bit of strength in his body, and he staggered across the starting point just as the sun began to set. And immediately he collapsed, blood streaming from his mouth. He made it just in time. The only problem was within a few minutes, he was dead. And Tolstoy writes the story and says, afterwards, his servants dug a grave. And the grave was not much over six feet long and three feet wide. And the title of Tolstoy's story is, How Much Land Does a Man Need? Tolstoy gives us a great picture of the universal challenge of greed that all of us experience. Greed is this intense desire to possess more than we need, which as a result leads to unhealthy attachments. And greed is pervasive. It's all over the world. It's found in the smallest and cutest of children, and it's found in the largest and biggest of institutions. In 2008, the financial crisis that many of us are very familiar with is attributed to greed. And so whether we're talking about multimillionaires or whether we're talking about monks, we all wrestle with the power of greed. There's a guy named John Cassian. He's one of the great desert fathers who's written much about the contemplative life and about monasteries and such. And he would tell about how monks who had renounced everything Monks renounce all their property, all their resources, how, they, how angry they would get if they lost a book, and how angry they would get if they lost a small little thing that belonged to them. And so whether we're talking about millionaires or monks, greed is a power that everyone struggles with. I thought about it this past week in my own life. 
Earlier this week, I, I went to get some uh, takeout, some dinner at a local franchise restaurant, and I pay and spend about $27 and 49 cents, or 59 cents it was, $27 and 59 cents. And I get to the cashier, and I'm about to pay, and, and the, the cashier says, would you like to donate 41, 41 cents to round up uh, to a local charity that we're helping, you know, like just poor children and all that stuff there? And I thought, I just spent $27.59, and I thought, you want me to pay 41 additional cents for this thing? And so I gave it some thought. Do I want to pay 41 cents? additionally to round up. And I said, sure, sure, sure. And she said, oh, great. And, and I was mad that I just had to just give another 40. I just spent $27 and, and 59 cents and just thinking about another 41 cents. And then the Lord reminded me, you're preaching about greed this Sunday. I said, have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. Have mercy on me. Greed shows up in so many areas of our lives, which is why Jesus has so much to teach us about money and possessions. Greed tempts us to live according to the scarcity mentality that says, I will never have enough. But greed is also a symptom of something deeper. Greed is usually a symptom of a deeper reality of fear. Some of us hold on to more and more because we are so afraid of having nothing. Some of you grew up in a home that financially struggled, and you saw the pain and difficulty of financial struggle. Or maybe you have placed your sense of self in what you have and in your paycheck. And so at the core of greed is often so much fear, and money has a way of keeping us in its grip. Which is why really the invitation to a life that's free from greed is a life of contentment and a life of trust. And what contentment essentially says is this. Contentment is living free from the lie that having more of something makes me something more. That's what contentment is. And we are invited to allow Christ to so fill our lives, which we'll get to in a moment, to be free from greed. But the question for us today is, to what degree is greed dominating your life? To what degree are you hoarding? To what degree are you anxiously protective? To what degree does money have a grip on your life? And so in Proverbs, over and over again, we see greed as, a, as something to be resisted. That we become wise with our money when we resist greed. But there's another a theme that comes up in the book of Proverbs from time to time that we must give our attention to. The first category is greed. The second category is debt. Debt. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant or slave to the lender. Now, when it comes to debt, there, there are two words that we must remember, two words that I want you to hold on to as I preach through this part and as we think about this week, two words, reframe and refrain, reframe and refrain. To think about debt requires us to reframe our understanding as it relates to it and then to refrain as it pertains to our decisions. We were made in the image of God to be free, image of God to be internally free. 
to be free from the false gods, to be free from the attachment that so ruined our lives. And yet, so many of us find ourselves as slaves, but not the kind of slaves that we are accustomed to. We're slaves with nice cars and slaves with nice homes and slaves with a nice wardrobe, but we're slaves nonetheless. The United States has a national debt of $30 trillion. 56% of divorced people cite financial tensions in the home related to debt as a significant factor. 77 nations in the world are characterized as being heavily indebted countries. And with all of this information personally and institutionally, it can get so overwhelming. And for many, the worst part about being in debt is the shame that comes our way. This vicious cycle that we, we want to give, we want to be generous, and then we think about the hole that we're in and the shame that comes our way. Now, it's important to make a disclaimer, and this is not a, a course on financial health and such, that some say there's, there's good debt and there's bad debt. There's, there's, there's good debt that we invest in. There's bad debt that we find ourselves in a hole to. But whether it's good debt or whether it's bad debt, to owe someone something is a hard place to live. And it's actually something that we tend to not confess with our lives. I came across a series of statistics that said when you meet someone for the first time, what is the things that you're least likely to talk about? And these were the statistics that they said you're least likely to talk about your weight, 50%. Your health problems, 62%. Your monthly mortgage or rent, 72%. Your salary, 77%. Details of your love life, 81%. The biggest thing in this survey that people do not want to talk about, especially if I just met you, is the amount of credit card debt that someone has. And so to begin to talk about getting free in the name of Jesus from this, we must reframe our understanding of debt. That debt is not just simply a negative thing. It's something that makes us slaves. And reframing our understanding as it relates to debt requires us to go in a different way, to make some hard decisions so that we can be free. And I recognize and I identify with the challenges of debt. I know what it's like to be in debt. When I was 19 years old, I remember going to a city college, and, and it was the first week at the school in Brooklyn. And, and, and I was, as I was about to walk into the school, I see these tables in front of the campus with credit card applications. And as I see it, they go, you know, you know, unlimited balance. I'm thinking, how wonderful, how wonderful. <laughs> and so at 19 years old, I, where do I sign? And I signed and I got the credit card. And I remember just a few months later going to Florida and using that card. And I swiped like there was no tomorrow. I was swiping. I mean, I mean, this is how I was. I'd be swiping every time, just like that in the store. It was wonderful. I spent so much money that week, and I was looking good. I was looking good. I walked with a greater swagger. I was feeling good about myself swiping away. And then me being a 19-year-old discovered they want that money back. They want that money back. And soon, too, 
And so from the very onset, my first, the first time I touched the credit card, I found myself immediately in a hole. Early on in our marriage, when Rosie and I got married, married we were married very young in our, in our mid-20s and to early 20s. And early on in our marriage, we were impulsive. We just didn't think things through. We're really new to it. And we found ourselves making some hasty decisions as it relates to furniture in the house. And we find, found ourselves in a hole. We had some nice furniture. <laughs> I mean, we talking about Pottery Barn. I mean, we had some nice stuff. And because we had the nice stuff, that stuff is expensive. And we wanted some nice stuff. And we found ourselves early on in our marriage financially struggling. And then we, went, we spoke to a financial advisor who essentially said, you're going to have to make some hard decisions to step out of this debt that you're in. And it might require you selling some of your furniture. And so I remember Rosie and I talking, said, you know, we're going to make some hard decisions. We want to be free in the name of Jesus. And so let's sell. And I had a really nice desk in my, a pottery barn desk in the office there. You know, I had lemon pledge. I was always lemon pledging it. It was always shiny. And I remember the day when we thought, I'll have to sell my stuff. And so we went on Craigslist. And I never forgot. I said, no one's going to want this. No one's going to buy it. But we put it on Craigslist. And 45 minutes later, someone said, I want it. And I said, no, you don't. You don't want it. <laughs> take it down. Take it off of Craigslist. And the lady said, I'll be there in two hours. And she came with an assistant in two hours. And as I see the lady giving us the money, it was wonderful. They're taking away that beautiful piece of furniture that I so love. And what made it even worse was I had to help the guy take it down the stairs. Put it in the car. Drove away. <laughs> but we discover that if we're going to be free, if we're going to live without this burden, it's going to require us to do some hard things. And so reframing it, but also refraining. The Holy Spirit gives us the fruit of the Spirit, and one of the manifestations of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Oh, Lord, help us. We like the gentleness. We like the peace. We like the joy. But the fruit of the Spirit, when God is working in your life, another manifestation of fruit is self-control. And, Lord, does, do we need help with self-control? When it is so easy to make quick decisions, we are invited by the Holy Spirit to refrain. And so my hope is this. I, I heard someone say that, that what makes a sermon good is that throughout the course of the week and for the rest of my life, it haunts me. <laughs> and my hope is that this sermon would haunt me and haunt you for the rest of your life. <laughs> that as you're about to make a decision, that you would hear the, the voice of your pastor and that I would hear the voice of myself saying, hold on, 
wait a second. Because one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And so for some of us, it means we have to embrace our limits. For some of us, it means we might have to cut up a credit card. For some of us, it means that on Sunday night, we need to start preparing meals for the rest of the night because you and I know the temptation when Tuesday and Wednesday comes and it's already 6.30 and you ask yourself the question, what's for dinner? Which is the most stressful time in the day. What's for dinner? I don't know. If we start cooking right now, we're going to eat at 10 p.m. I don't want to eat at 10 p.m. Let's go to Chick-fil-A. I mean, this is how it happens. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. And so it requires refraining and reframing. And so those are two damaging ways that we tend to relate to money. And may the Holy Spirit begin to identify the ways that fear and greed and the ways that it's led us to making some poor financial decisions. And may the Lord give us the grace to begin to come out of it. But there's one redemptive, positive way that the Proverbs invite us to live as it relates to money. And this third theme that I want to highlight is the theme of generosity. The theme of generosity. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. It's a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. Proverbs 22, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. The primary way we honor God with our money is to share it with others. This is stuff we teach three-year-olds, and this is stuff that needs to go with us until the grave. The primary way that we honor God with our money is to share it with others. This does not mean we're not called to save. This does not mean we're not called to invest it. This does not mean that we're not called to use it for joyful purposes and for recreation and for fun. But the primary way you could argue scripturally to honor God with our money is to share it with others. But it's important to say this about generosity. Generosity is not to be a strategy to get more. You're going to hear some stuff that I know you've probably been watching Christian television. I'm going to come against everything you've heard on Christian television. Generosity is not a strategy to get more. We cannot manipulate the goodness of God. And this is how I know. Oh, I feel the spirit now. There have been times when I've given generously. And the Lord has provided for me generously. And then there have been times when I have not been generous. And God has still been generous to me. We often think, if I give to God, God will give back to me. But you have plenty of examples in your own life, as I have in my life, when I've been stingy and God still poured out blessing on my life. We cannot manipulate the goodness of God. God is good because God is good. 
Jesus says he lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust. And so we give not as a strategy to get back. We give because God has already been good to us. And so this is why we give. Not to manipulate God, but to manifest what God has already given to us. Now, sometimes I, as a pastor, I get a question on a regular basis, where do I begin? And what I would say biblically, scripturally, is that the tithe, 10%, is a wonderful place to begin if you're wondering, how can I cultivate generosity? But inevitably, as a pastor, I've heard lots of people in our church and outside of our church say, Pastor Rich, I want to give 10%, but, but I'm still financially struggling. And to do that, it's going to put me in a very challenging position. What should I do? And there's two responses that I could give. The first response is, if you don't give 10%, get out of the church. <laughs> and those who know me know that's not what I say. <laughs> What I say to people is this. When someone says, I can't give 10%, what should I do? My next question to them and my next question to you is, then what can you start with? 2%? 3%? Start with something and be faithful with it. And then ask the Lord, Lord, could you give me the grace to give more? You were made to give. You were made to be generous. Your soul flourishes when you're generous, but start somewhere. When someone says, Pastor, I, I can't pray for 15 minutes. That's a, well, can you start with three? Then start with three and give your three to God. Give your 2% to God. Give your 3% to God. And what's going to happen is you're going to find your soul because you were made to be generous. Your soul's going to be expanding and flourishing. And you're going to say, you know what? I want to give five now. You know, I feel the spirit leading me to six now. I said, and next thing you know, you're living a generous life. But the question is, what can you start with? Generosity. The question is, as I wrap this up, begin to wrap this up, is what does the Lord ask of us? As we think about our lives today and our lives tomorrow, what is the Lord asking of us? And there are four words that I want to hold on to and want you to hold on to. What does the Lord ask of us? First of all, confession. Until we're able to confess the damaging ways that we relate to money, we're going to have a hard time living in the abundance of God. We're going to have a hard time having seen our souls flourish. And so the first really invitation for us is to begin to confess the often dysfunctional and damaging ways that we've related to money, the fears that we have around money. The ways that we've misused it and misprioritized. We must begin with confession. But beyond confession, we are invited by the Holy Spirit to live a life of contentment. And again, contentment is living free from the lie that says, because I have more, that makes me more. And that I'm invited to live a life of contentment. We're called to generosity. But what the Holy Spirit, I believe, is inviting us into today is to cultivate poverty of spirit. We become wise with our money when we recognize that we are poor in spirit. I want to close by focusing on what Jesus had to say about money. Because when Jesus talks about money, he doesn't see it as a neutral thing. 
Jesus doesn't see money as a neutral thing. Jesus sees money as a spiritual power, as a power and a principality. Jesus does not see it as a neutral thing. Money is a power, a spiritual power that pulls us to itself. And Jesus lets us know that it's not neutral. There's a life that money has that pulls you to it. I was reminded, I remember taking the train a number of years ago, and I was on, uh, on, the, on the platform, and I saw a man in a really nice suit with a really nice briefcase. He looked like he earned a lot of money. At least he looked the part. And he's walking there after work and everything. And, and as the train is about to come in, I saw a couple of dollars just flying on the platform, some loose dollars flying on the platform. And a few people saw it. And this guy in his briefcase and nice suit sees the dollars flying on the floor there, you know, and he tries to catch it. And I see him like this, trying to be cool with it, like this. <laughs> him all the way down the platform, trying to catch it. And, he can't, and then the money goes into the, the train tracks. And you see the guy kind of like, shucks, you know, just like, oh, man. And I thought to myself, this guy looking pretty good. Nice briefcase, nice shoes, and still trying to catch a, 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 a dollar with his foot. And I said, this is the spiritual power of money, almost like possessing this guy. You need me. Catch me. You don't have enough. Money is a spiritual power. How do I know? Because it's what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, this is what Jesus says. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and Satan. It doesn't say that. You cannot serve both God and demons. It doesn't say that. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. The original there is mammon. It's mammon, which mammon is a spiritual power. We're not talking about uh, denominations of bills here. We're talking about a larger spiritual power. Mammon and money makes you a promise every single day. Money says to you, if you give your life to me, you won't have any worries. If you work a little hard for a little bit of extra change, you will not have any problems. Money is not a neutral thing for Jesus. Money is a rival God that demands allegiance, that demands your time, that demands your energy, that demands your entire life. And money promises, if you have more of me, you won't have any worries. Which is interesting why right after Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money, Jesus says these words, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Because he knows that if you give yourself to this rival God, your life is going to be dominated by worry. But Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry do not ask, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. This is what Jesus is saying. Money is a rival God that if you put your trust in it, it will destroy you. But if you put your trust in me, there's no need for worry. Why? Because 
Look at the birds. Look at the flowers of the field and look at how I provide for their needs. Look at the pigeons in New York City. Ah. They're all provided for. And if I can provide for flying rats, how much more will I provide for you? Jesus invites us to say, put your trust in me. Money doesn't love you, but I love you. And if you give yourself to me, I will provide. There's no need to worry whatsoever. And so at the core of it, brothers and sisters, is this question. Are you in the grip of money today? Let's invite our worship team to come forward. Are you in the grip of money today? Is your life dominated by anxiety around money? Is your life dominated by greed as it pertains to money? Are you subject to the power of money? And the answer for, I would say, just about all of us is, to some degree, yes. So, Lord, fill me with your spirit. So, Lord, reorient my mind. So, Lord, reframe my thinking that I would worship you and not money. Holy Spirit, would you help us to become wise with our money, wise with what you entrusted us with. May we find our identity in your love and not in our paycheck, in your grace and not in our bank account in your mercy and not in our possessions. And Lord, we need your grace to do this because apart from you, we can do nothing. May we root our trust in you and find our identity in you. Free us today from the power of money. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, let's all stand and sing together.
service for those of you watching online let me say this it's to become wise with our money requires the strength outside of ourselves and it re requires a community as well and that's how the strength often comes through the power of community at new life one of our goals is to structure our community in such a way where we are living more and more free in the name of Jesus. And it happens as we join our lives together. For some of us, the first step to becoming wise with our money is confession and receiving prayer. And our prayer team will be up here and some of you maybe just want to come forward and say, I've had a bad understanding of money for many, many years. I haven't related to it well for many, many years. And I just need to confess that and to receive prayer and begin to ask the Holy Spirit to open my soul to new possibilities. At New Life, we're here to serve one another. I've been here at New Life. It'll be 14 years this summer. And over the course of being here for 14 years, I've seen the beauty of community as it relates to becoming wise with our money and the ways that people have come around one another. One of the gifts of being in a small group community and being known by others is we are aware of each other's challenges, each other's needs. I've heard plenty of stories of people within our congregation who lost a job and did not know how they were going to buy groceries, only to have brothers and sisters come around them to help provide for their needs and practicing generosity. I've seen people on the receiving end of that and then they become givers on the other end of it. And so we need one another, brothers and sisters, as a community. For some of you, you might be wondering, how do I get started? Maybe you're in a challenging financial place. Through our Community Development Corporation, we have something called success groups. And if you just went to our New Life CDC website, there are many families at New Life that have gone through this course or this, this program with other people within the community and there are resources that you can receive, as well as accountability and community. And so we have put things in place to help people rise out of poverty at New Life through our Success Groups program. And if you're wondering, uh, you know, is that for me? You can go on our website, and I know they're taking new starting a new cohort very soon. And we want to serve you along those lines. In a month or so, we're having a marriage um, uh, gathering to talk about money and to help married couples talk about something that's often very difficult to talk about. And if you need the tools for that, we want to serve you along those lines. And in a couple of months, we'll open it up for the rest of our congregation so that you can grow in wisdom. But make no mistake about it, all this begins with the heart, with confession, with prayer. And so as I bless you, if you sense the Lord calling you to just receive prayer, we love to pray for you. 
At the end of our service here, we'll have a sermon discussion time. One of our pastors will be leading that. And so if you're watching online or if you are um, here and you want to join that as well, feel free to click on that link and you can have 30 minutes of conversation. And let me end with this here. Some of you in this room here, some of you watching online, you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. Maybe your entire life has been oriented around the rival God of money. And you've been disappointed every single time because money keeps changing what the enough means and you are longing for enoughness and your enoughness will never come through money it comes through the love of God and you're saying to yourself I want to say yes to Jesus receive his love follow him in the way of his kingdom and if that's you in this room our our prayer team would love to help you along those lines or you can text yes to Jesus to that number on the screen at 718-424- 0211, and we'd love to serve you there. Let me bless you all. Let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We end every time with blessing in this way. This is the posture of someone who belongs to Jesus. The world lives this way, clenched hands. And when your hands are clenched in this way, God can't put anything in it. And neither can you give to others. When your hands are in this way here and your posture and your heart is this way, God has space and room to give. And you have room as well to give to others. This is the free posture of the Christian. And so with your hands in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, receiving deeper and deeper freedom as it relates to your relationship to money. May you become generous. May you live with greater contentment, greater joy, greater peace, greater self-control. And may your soul flourish, your life flourish, and the people around you flourish as well. I bless you all. And the strong in the beautiful, in the generous name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.